Kia ora. I'm Damien Venuto. It's November 7th and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. A new study shows that 132,000 small businesses across Aotearoa have been hit by cybersecurity issues. Of those, 29% of bosses claim that they have suffered a financial loss due to these problems. What's most striking is that over a quarter of businesses have been forced to cut their cybersecurity budgets amid the current economic strain. They simply can't afford to invest more in protecting their businesses. There are, however, hackers fighting on the good side to ensure that firms aren't compromised even if they're having to cut budgets. One such person is Jackson Henry, a 17-year-old ethical hacker who was able to expose a vulnerability in the UN security systems. Today, Jackson joins the front page to share what he's learned about cybersecurity by smashing through virtual doors that should have been locked tight. Jackson, let's start with the basics here. What exactly does an ethical hacker do? Ethics and hacking don't always go hand in hand. Yeah, so I'd say the role of an ethical hacker or a white hat, as it's often referred to, is to emulate the techniques, the mindset, and I think the overall behavior of a malicious threat actor, but with the goal of finding security flaws and and vulnerabilities before the black hats do. So part of your job is really infiltrating companies. So how do you actually go about breaking through those security systems? What are some of the strategies that you use? Sort of totally depends on the company and what their infrastructure is like. But often I might start with looking for security misconfigurations and issues that can arise from human error. That's a big one, the human side of an organization. So maybe one of the software developers you know, exposed sensitive files accidentally. Um, and our first step would be to sort of look for those um, and sort of lean off that human error element. Jackson, our listeners might be surprised to hear this, but you're only 17 years old. So how long have you been doing this and how did you get into this? Yeah, so sort of got interested in technology sort of four years ago. There wasn't sort of one moment that was like, oh, I need to be a hacker, I need to jump into cybersecurity. But yeah, I've always been curious about technology. And I think when you understand technology, you can better identify sort of its shortcomings and and issues. You rose to fame in your scene by hacking into the UN. Two years ago, he led a small team of white hats that hacked the United Nations and alerted it to an issue via its vulnerability disclosure program, a scheme some organisations use to invite the hacker community to try and find flaws in their systems. Can you talk to us about that? How difficult was that? Yeah, so it's actually funny. I was looking for an organization that ran a vulnerability disclosure program, sort of a a policy that allowed hackers to come in and help them and sort of have fun and see, see if they could find any issues. And I stumbled across many sort of smaller organizations that had these policies. But when I found that the UN had one, I was like, there's no way we're going to be able to find anything. But I pitched the idea to a few friends of mine and um, we got going. and, And six hours later, we found some pretty cool stuff. Six hours later, what did you find? We stumbled across a data set that was inadvertently exposed that sort of revealed 100,000 highly sensitive records. And they varied. They were sort of personally identifiable information, documents about ongoing projects and funding reports. Yeah, it was concerning. The fact that it only took you six hours, was this not even that difficult for you to do? Um, Look, it may have been an anomaly. Some engagements have taken longer, some have taken shorter, but it, it was a surprise, that's for sure. What does it tell you, if you can hack into the UN, what does that tell you about the level of cybersecurity across organizations? I mean, if the UN doesn't have decent cybersecurity, what does that say about smaller organizations? 
Yeah, that's what I was thinking, you know, with my experience in with these larger organizations, I got thinking about sort of small to medium businesses, they're not well funded. And these larger organizations that have funding often aren't as secure as as I would have thought. So sort of small to medium businesses who don't have the resources and lack the time. Yeah, it got me wondering sort of how insecure are they? So a recent study from MasterCard showed that a quarter of New Zealand businesses have been forced to cut their cybersecurity spend. How worrying is that? Look, 132,000 New Zealand small business leaders say they've been targeted by cyber attacks. I mean, that number's only going to continue to grow. And I think there's this perception that cybersecurity is some sort of super costly expenditure. But in light of these sort of cybersecurity cuts, there are very simple and low cost things that small business leaders can do. So um, in my collaboration with MasterCard, we created a small video series called Cyber Secure in 60 Seconds, which highlights the threats that SMBs commonly face and provide sort of actionable advice on how to better secure their systems. So how do we stay safe? Encrypt your backups, limit who has access to them, and make sure they're stored in an off-site location or protected cloud environment. Remember, backups aren't just a copy. It's your business's safety net. What's the biggest mistake that businesses make when it comes to cybersecurity? I think it's sort of first important to understand why SMBs fall short when it comes to cybersecurity. By their very nature, they're at a point in their business operations where they're far more concerned sort of with customer acquisition and scaling that cybersecurity is often put at the bottom of the priority list or not even considered at all. And and that's understandable. But the biggest mistake I see is SMBs having this false sense of complacency in thinking that they sort of couldn't be a, a target of a cyber attack. And that's a common misconception. Having looked at things from the other side and considered some of the reasons why companies are targeted, what are some of the reasons that companies are targeted? Yeah, so from an attacker standpoint, there's many sort of motivations. You can have hacktivists who are sort of politically motivated and just want to cause disruption. You have nation state threat actors who sort of want to target sensitive information. But in the context of small to medium businesses, it's it's money. You know, it's often money that's the motivating factor. These attackers will deploy ransomware, they'll freeze up your system, steal customer data, and demand money back to not leak that data. So yeah, it varies. If a hacker does have these nefarious intentions, what type of information are they looking to glean from a company? For the average person, it can even be difficult to understand what they could possibly want from you. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's not always about information. It's also, it's about disruptance. So a lot of the time, you know, when ransomware is deployed, it will completely halt business operations from a technological standpoint. Money will be demanded to unlock those systems. But it could be if you have a central database that stores customer information that that is taken and then threatened to be exposed online. And then money also is demanded to not leak that data. Money is a huge motivating factor for these malicious threat actors. Jackson, can you tell us a little bit about growing up? Because to choose this as a career path quite young is interesting. So what is it like with your parents and just the path that you've taken to get to this point? Yeah, well, both my parents are super non-technical. They work in non-technical fields. You know, I'm always the one fixing the printer and you know, fixing their emails. But look, it is a growing industry. It's a good place to be. In media, we see sort of cyber attacks happening, you know, a lot recently. It's an awesome industry and it has a growing need. You mentioned that you had a team of six people. So a few of your friends also involved in a similar space? Yeah, yeah. I think increasingly students and people who are younger, who intimately understand technology, have grown up around it, leaning into this space a bit more because they hear that it's a promising field to get into. They hear it's skill shortages and it's in demand. So yeah, there are a few friends of mine who who are also involved. How did you learn the skills that you use today? Was a lot of it just online research? Was it forums that people were sharing things with you? How, How did you get the knowledge that you're now using for the service? 
I'm of the belief that you can read all the books, you can watch all the videos, do all the courses, but nothing will replace just getting down and having a go and trying things out. So just getting on a system, you know, joining one of these programs, like I said, the United Nations ran a program where they invited these hackers to come and, and have a go and see what they can find and then report it. So yeah, just getting out there and seeing what you can find, I think is most important. What do your parents think about the fact that you're pursuing a career as a hacker? Yeah, uh, I mean, it, you know, if you see the statistics of how many companies need cybersecurity personnel, it's only continuing to grow. So I'd say pleased. It's, like I said, a promising career path. Yeah, I've been lucky enough to find something I'm interested in, you know, super early. I love this dynamic between you and your parents, you being very tech savvy and them not being necessarily as tech savvy. Are you planning to go to university to further your studies too? No, I think, you know, I'm not anti-university at all. It's one way to demonstrate capability and there are certainly plenty of other ways. So for me, I think it's not the most logical path and yeah, we'll try and skip over that part. The Front Page is the New Zealand Herald's daily news podcast. And for more business news, opinion and podcasts, head to nzherald.co.nz. When it does come to the act of white hacking or hacking in general, is there also an element of luck that sometimes you just stumble across something that you didn't expect to find there? Of course, yeah. Larger organizations, their infrastructure is constantly changing. An issue might be open for a few months and then something might change and then that issue is inadvertently closed. So yeah, it is sort of skill meets opportunity. You mentioned that your parents aren't exactly technologically savvy. So there is this perception that older people are the most likely to get scammed or hacked or are the most likely to be open to vulnerabilities when it comes to cybersecurity. So what would your response be to that? The elderly are more vulnerable. Um, we've all sort of anecdotally heard stories about grandparents getting scammed or hacked, but these hackers and scammers, they don't discriminate and they will target anyone they can regardless of age. I suppose the other side of this is that when you have older businesses, they're often run by people who are a little bit older and they aren't maybe looking at the structures as closely as what they should be. So. Here in New Zealand, we've seen major government organisations targeted in elaborate hacks over the last year. A cybersecurity firm says hackers are selling thousands of staff and student logins, passwords and access to school and tertiary institutions' IT systems. We've got malware infections, exposed credentials, compromised websites. There is a large and quite broad range of threats. Do you think that the bureaucratic structures are falling behind the curve when it comes to cybersecurity? Cybercrime is is certainly on the rise, and you're right, but it has become big business, and we have seen these cases in the media. But the cybercrime landscape is constantly changing, and sort of attackers are innovating and changing the way they infiltrate systems. But as awareness grows around cybersecurity, what I will say is that I, I do think the defenders are winning, but it is getting harder and harder for attackers to break into these systems, and uh, we're really making them work for it. Regardless of recent media examples, there is good work being done. So I'm optimistic. Yeah, as you said, scamming and hacking have become big business. They often operated in these like call centers with massive teams. So can a small business or even big institutions compete with what's being built abroad? You know, when provided with the right resources, sure. You know, as we discussed before, I think they aren't sort of ready. They aren't. But I don't think businesses should necessarily be scared, but think of it as sort of a precaution so if earthquakes are a concern and insurance is taken out as a precautionary measure and people should do the same with cyber just by giving a little bit of thought and implementing some protections. I have seen online that white hackers and those on the ethical side of the hacking space tend to be quite cautious with revealing too much of their personal information online. Are you quite cautious? 
Yeah, look, everyone exposes too much information and they don't realize it. You know, it happens bit by bit and only when it's compiled into a nice looking report or, you know, put in front of someone's screen in a sort of centralized location that they start to realize sort of how much information they are giving out over time. Do you think that businesses should be giving their staff better advice on what they should and shouldn't be sharing on social media? Yeah. So, I mean, tip one of this cybersecurity in 60 seconds campaign is to sort of educate your employees because they are the first line of defense when it comes to businesses and making sure they're equipped with the right information is important because you're only as strong as your weakest link. So you're making sure that not only the business leaders, but all the employees are aware of the threats and can sort of feel the part of protecting the organization and safe harboring it. Yeah, that's important. Jackson, given that you're quickly becoming one of the faces of white hacking in this part of the world, are you concerned at all that hackers or scammers might target you? (laughs) Um, No, I I don't think so. But um, yeah, certainly put some precautions in place just in case. (laughs) Jackson, do you have any advice for businesses who might not have a big cybersecurity budget about what some of the simple things are that they can do to ensure that they stay safe? Sure. We've all heard it before, um, but it's still not being done. Use strong, unique passwords. You know, Don't use the same password for every service and make sure the passwords that you are using are complex and that they do include special characters, capital letters. Secondly, enabling two-factor authentication is super important. You know, It means worst comes to worst, the attackers get access to your credentials. There's that second layer of protection, sending you a six-digit code to your phone or whatever it may be. Thanks for joining us, Jackson. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Front Page. You can read more about this and other stories in the New Zealand Herald online at nzherald.co.nz or tune in to news bulletins across the NZME network. Thanks to our producer and editor, Sean D. Wilson. You can follow The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.